So as you can imagine, it's the blood sugar panel, but not just fasting blood sugar. It's A1C and insulin. It's the lipid panel, but not just the lipids. There's lots of different advanced APO panels that most doctors don't usually run. And then LDH, homocysteine, and then there's the full iron panel, and there's um, the D-dimer. There's so many different biomarkers that we cover in this course because when you look at the cardiovascular system in those three different parts, you can see how there's a lot of different corresponding but separate physiologies that could be going on. Hello and welcome to the Health Detective Podcast by Functional Diagnostic Nutrition. We bring you interviews from people who have conquered the trickiest of health challenges using the Functional Diagnostic Nutrition philosophy and similar healing modalities. You're going to hear from experts who have been through the ringer with their health issues and yet managed to come out on the other side. If you're interested in natural healing and or functional medicine, congrats, you are in the right place. You can always visit us at functionaldiagnosticnutrition.com. But for now, here is today's episode. Well, hello, my friends, and welcome back to another episode of what we are now considering a health detective podcast episode. My name is Evan Transu, aka Detective Ev, and I will have the privilege of being your host for today's show, episode number 306 of the Health Detective Podcast. Again, we weren't necessarily um, considering this one an episode before, especially since we just did a live one an hour ago with you guys. But as I've done more and more stuff with our wonderful guest today, Dr. Lori Rose, it's just been so much fun. You guys love our dynamic and we're lucky because we're just like little goofballs together, nerdy goofballs together. <laughs> and um, we do some Instagram stuff every other month. And then we go on Restream, YouTube, Facebook uh, on the alternate month. So Dr. Lori, thanks for being here with me today. Thank you so much. Dr. Lori is currently trooping through that like insane congestion infection that apparently affects everyone, even in functional medicine. It got me, it made me super sick and she's doing it with grace. So we appreciate you being on because there's very few things that like get me, get me. And I'm like, oh man, that stinks. And then you sound great coming in. Um, and this is our proof that we balance Western and functional medicine because she tried her natural pharmacy first and then said, screw it. I need to get all the podcasts with them. Sometimes you got to do what you got to do. <laughs> yep. If I'm going public, I was like, all right, we got to put on a different face. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So we're talking about heart health today and we saw Ryu. Hello. Hope you're doing well, my friend. Um, say perfect timing on Valentine's day. So yes, it is. We actually planned this, I think three months, four months ago now. Remember this was back in 2023 and we're like, we got to do this on Valentine's day. So that's exactly why we're doing it. Um, and we have someone else saying, hello, thank you for this class. You are welcome. Uh, we're going to have some fun with it. So uh, for those that don't know who you are, Dr. Lori, because we didn't really give you the proper uh, bio intro like we would on most uh, podcast episodes. Real brief, who are you? What do you do for FDN? Sure. I am Lori Rose. I am a college biology professor of a holistic wellness program. I am a holistic nutritionist, a clinical herbalist a holistic health coach, and an FDNP. And so I like to merge all of those different arenas in the courses that I teach for all of you at FDN. So I've created a lot of advanced courses for you all. And then I've also um, created the Health Coach Mastery Program. So just sort of merging all of these modalities. 
Yeah, she's really the brains behind a lot of our advanced courses. And Health Coach Master, I wouldn't even call that an advanced course. That's a really genuinely separate course in and of itself um, from the main FDN one that does the lab. So uh, we could touch on all those things at a different time. And in fact, we have uh, in a lot of the videos we've done together. Uh, but today we'll be focusing on the heart health one. So this is one that I have admittedly not like dove into myself. I think it's so exciting, though, because when you become an FDN, here's something that everyone needs to understand about the advanced courses. I almost wish we would name them differently because advanced implies, oh, I have to do FDN. And then to advance my education, of course, advanced, I have to go do these. And it's like, well, yeah, they could be used for that. But the way I actually look at them is as intensives. So that means someone from the public could come in and you can purchase one of these advanced courses. So you are actually allowed to do that. And you can go through the course and still get a great benefit from it. Even if you're another type of health coach, or maybe you're a doctor, or maybe you're a chiropractor, you don't actually have to be an FDN to do these things. Um, similarly, NOR's any or nor are any of these courses required to be a successful FDN once you actually graduate. Uh, these are just things that you should want to add on. They're things that you should want to do if you really want to serve your clientele at the highest level. Um, Maddie, my fiance, has been doing a lot of stuff uh, recently with clients. Like it's just really picking up. And now she's adding on all these little advanced courses. She's going through our Dutch training right now. And then she'll be doing um, herbology next is the one that she wants <gasps> to do. So, yeah, that's a Dr. Lori Rose special. Um, so very cool. With this heart health one. I'm really fascinated by this, especially from the functional perspective. So we can get into details as we go along, but I'm just curious, what was the inspiration for this one outside of the obvious? Everyone wants a healthy heart, but what was the inspiration to create a whole course on this one? Yeah, this one was really unique and cool. It was a collaboration between Dr. Gupta and I, who's like an FDN collaborative medical doctor. Um, and so what FDN did was create something called the heart wellness panel, where through DHA, you can just say, oh, I want the heart wellness panel. And you get every lab that could possibly be useful in helping assess someone's cardiovascular health. So this course was to one, get everyone on the same page with the cardiovascular anatomy and physiology, but then to also go through the heart wellness panel, the lab panel and explain why those labs are in it, how they work and how they relate to all the different anatomy and physiology of the cardiovascular system. And then, of course, we don't leave you hanging. We let you know, like, hey, if things are wonky, here are all the nutrients and the herbs and supplements, lifestyle changes that you can do about it. That's probably good, right? You don't want to just show them a panel. But yeah, you're screwed. Yep. <laughs> Sorry, guys. That'll be 300 bucks um, and you're good to go. <laughs> By the way, I see we already have 15 people on live with us. Um, anytime we do something with Dr. Lori, uh, please, it's very interactive. You're more than welcome to ask questions uh, as we go along here. And we will prioritize them quicker than we would in a normal podcast. Uh, we would love to have your questions. Otherwise, I have plenty of stuff to ask as we go along here. I'm curious because uh, admittedly, I'm not, you know, I know a lot, but I'm not an expert on anything and I don't pretend to be. I think that's hopefully one of the appeals to me as a host is I have genuine ignorance and I ask about um, things accordingly. So are there markers like is homocysteine on there oh, yeah. in this panel? And then like what other markers might people see? So there's dozens and dozens. So it's a okay. really big panel. So it's super cool. And I couldn't list them all right now. But essentially, and this is something that's unique about this course, is I divide the cardiovascular system into three different parts as I educate about it. So I really split up the blood itself from the blood vessels 
from the actual heart. And I talk about different things that can go wonky in each of those systems and then the corresponding labs that can tell us about them. So as you can imagine, it's the blood sugar panel, but not just fasting blood sugar. It's A1C and insulin. It's the lipid panel, but not just the lipids. There's lots of different advanced APO panels that most doctors don't usually run. And then LDH, homocysteine, and then there's the full iron panel and there's um, the D-dimer. There's so many different biomarkers that we cover in this course because when you look at the cardiovascular system in those three different parts, you can see how there's a lot of different corresponding but separate physiologies that could be going on. Gotcha. And that was perfect timing. Um, we have a user BFAB, B-U-L-L-C. I love that. Um, because they said, can you tell me what the biomarkers in this panel are? So it sounds like there's quite a bit, but we'll go over some of those today for sure. You mentioned that some of these are not necessarily ran um, by traditional medicine uh, always. And like homocysteine, I know, is not one, for example, that's like their top priority unless there's a family history of health or heart issues. I know that sometimes then it could be brought into the mix. Now, what I'm curious about here is this, because when we're running functional labs, it, <laughs> we're getting into more rough waters. And now we're really debating between like the functional people that might not even be you know, traditionally uh, credentialed by Western medicine versus Western medicine docs. This is not the case here. Dr. Gupta is an MD out of Australia. He is a normal doctor and you are a PhD who is a professor. So I mean, you're a hippie too, but <laughs> right. Like it's not like you're just that you have these very formal credentials. And so does Dr. Gupta, uh, Gupta. And yet you guys both think that it's worthy to look at these markers. So, um, I don't mean this in like trying to look at the negative of it. I mean it genuinely. Why are these things not looked at in regular medicine when we know that they have um, relationships to heart health? Yeah. You know, there's, um, there's this fact. And I don't know where this fact comes from, <laughs> but it's somewhere along the lines of when a new paradigm comes about in the health field, it takes from 15 to 20 years for it to show up mm -hmm. in the medical field. And if you think about how the holistic health field educates each other. We have independent schools, we have podcasts, we have social media, we ha have all these immediate ways to communicate new findings. Hmm. But the medical field is very heavy, regulated, and it's predetermined the curriculum that's taught in all medical programs. And so in order to change an entire curriculum, it's, you know, there's a lot of bureaucracy involved there. And so I don't know if that's the reason why it takes so long for things to show up, but it just sort of is what it is. It, it, they're slow to respond. But, you know, 20 years ago, when I was first learning about vitamin D or omega-3, doctors knew nothing about it. But now you'll have a lot of conventional mm -hmm. doctors talking about vitamin D and omega-3. And so I think it's just part of the slow process of paradigm change. It's really interesting that you reference that because I get so I get tickled when I know something that you know. I'm like, oh my God, Lori, I knew that answer. <laughs> like it's like, yay. Um, I read that you 
it's probably 2017 that I was reading Dr. Tom O'Brien's one book, The Autoimmune Fix, and he referenced that. So um, the, the specific number that they used, which is within your range, was it takes about 17 years um, for this new uh, literature, new research to actually get into practice. Now, what was really interesting about the way he said it there, and this is real stuff. I have to find this. Someone just posted this recently. It might have been um, Jen Maleka, actually. I think she posted it in AFDNP. Um, this this. There's like a literal study on this. I don't know if that's even the right word for this, but I'll, I'll try to find it afterwards and I can put it in the show notes um, or the YouTube description. The bottom line is it's 17 years for 50% of places to use this and catch up to this. So that still means that another 50% are not caught up yet after 17 years. And you're like, oh, that adds oh. to it, right? So the cutting edge Western medical doctors take 17 years and then the rest take yes. even longer to follow. So that's fascinating. Yeah. And like, I was like, wow, like this is, you know, it's very scary in a sense, but it's also, it helps you really see what we're working with um, without a needlessly skeptical view. And you right. should be skeptical. Yes. There's a lot of crazy stuff that goes on. Dr. Lori and I are very aware of that and very much we're in alignment with you guys. We get that. But at the same time, practically speaking, uh, yes, new stuff comes out. There is more new research coming out on a weekly basis than anyone can practically keep up with. And these people, like they have things called jobs and lives. So, you know, these doctors are seeing 30, 40, 50 patients a day, um, you know, under their blue light, in their EMF storm of an office, like getting the crappy food. Then they got kids at home. They got a wife or husband, whatever it might be. Um, and they're trying to survive too, just like us. So it's not that you shouldn't continue your education as a Western medicine professional, and they're actually required to do that, right? But what's required is going to be very limited. <laughs> you know, it's going right. to be like, you're going to go to this conference or or this seminar and whatever's taught there is taught. So I think it's almost impossibly hard to keep up with this stuff. And so we need to share this information. Um, yeah. And yeah. I'm going to interrupt real quick. A funny, well, I don't know if this is funny or not, but an interesting backstory about the heart wellness course is it took way longer than we planned to create this course because Dr. Gupta was in charge of looking at all of the most recent, like even just published research for each and every panel in the course. And so we set the optimal ranges for all of the lab biomarkers. And we didn't just make those up. He that was all based on immediately published research or the most recent research on every single marker. And he was so thorough and it took so much time. So these are all research based mm -hmm. recommendations. Yeah. I can't get too into the weeds on a podcast. It's mostly not from the company, by the way. It's because we're on YouTube. But I will share this one. I love this comment here. Um, our friend Hello M1M1 said, and you got to make sure those conferences that you go to for CME are not funded by pharmaceutical companies, too, with <laughs> a little... Uh, I think that's a winky face. I, I would agree by that. It is amazing how much influence they have. So Dr. Lori, in terms of the course itself, again, we can't go through all the biomarkers today. But you know, when I think of... If I'm thinking heart health and something that's not commonly talked about, at least in the normal realm and functional medicine, it is, I immediately go to like things like homocysteine. I'm like, oh, that's so cool. Like I never knew about that. Really. I didn't understand that. And not to mention my um, family history. It's not an extreme heart issue. You know, um, what am I trying to say? It's not that my family history has like a large amount of heart issues, but it's happened enough on the male side that, you know, I try to be careful with it. Now, what was fascinating is I ran a panel through DHA labs. This was called the Evan Transu panel. It's called, you just start mixing in a bunch of random crap and then paying money. Oh, 
that's yeah. fine. It was so funny when I went to, uh, I forget if it's Quest or LabCorp that they send us to, but either way, I went there and the guy was like, who ordered this? <laughs> you know, was he had all these different vials. I got a urine test. He's like, I'm like, I ordered this, my friend. And uh, bottom line is I got homocysteine on there. And this was actually at a point, Lori, I had already... Uh, I was no longer symptomatic with the seven diagnosed conditions I had. I won't say reverse mm. cured. I, I, of course, didn't do that. Um, you know, I just didn't have the symptoms anymore, and I still haven't had the symptoms in years. So that's interesting. But besides the point, um, so I ran homocysteine, though, and it was actually elevated even from a Western medicine perspective. Wow. And so I'm like, wow, I feel good. I'm doing okay. But I still have this marker that even Western medicine would recognize at this range. You know, what else do I need to do here? And yes, I have methylation issues that I didn't know about at the time. So th there's a lot that goes into it. Um, but all of this is to say and lead up to, that's like the one marker that I'm thinking of in my head. You brought up vitamin D. What's a marker or two on the panel um, that maybe people like don't think about or don't know about that you guys decided to include here? Oh, man, you're throwing me... Um under the bus <laughs> you got this, you got this. i'm like oh i don't know there's like um there's a ldh which is an inflammation marker and it's so important but it's not included in the lipid panel in conventional medicine there's the d dimer which got really um is popular the right word it really got a spotlight shown on it during COVID because D-dimer was a marker that started to go up in a subset of people in the COVID population. Mm -hmm. And so these are things that are either sort of new or very uncommon in conventional labs. Okay. Um, the Actually, you know what's so funny? I just got it here. I pulled up the heart wellness uh, panel so we can go. Oh, yay! Yeah. You can go. I can pull them up too. And then right. I would sound really <laughs> smart, but I'm just going to say I didn't memorize them all, guys. <laughs> okay. You're so humble too, because you're like freaking brilliant and like you're always just like, no, yeah, I don't remember that or I don't know that. <laughs> um, it's all good. So, all right, let's go through. Well, I wanted to touch on this anyway, because I know that you mentioned vitamin D already. And yes, I think everyone knows, especially in the functional medicine space. All right, awesome. Let's get our vitamin D to a healthy level that you know is more than what uh, Western medicine looks at. But why is that such an essential thing in terms of heart health? Like, what do we know about that marker relative, or what do we know about having healthy levels of that relative to our heart health? Oh yeah, this is crazy. Vitamin D is tied to so many different physiological functions, but high blood pressure has a direct connection to lack of vitamin D. And it's really unknown the direct physiological explanation because there are many. Vitamin D impacts kidney function and kidneys directly impact blood pressure. Vitamin D impacts immune function, which directly impacts inflammation and inflammation in the blood vessels are you know, direct causes of high blood pressure, but there is vast research showing low vitamin D levels correlate to high blood pressure. Have you heard, well, I'm sure you've heard this, but just for the audience sake, um, I'm assuming you're aware of the studies about vitamin D levels and just all cause mortality. Oh yeah. Um, oh yeah. <laughs> and so for those that don't 
No, there's only so many markers in medicine that are like genuinely associated with all cause mortality and vitamin D is one of them. So not to mention, we're talking a low amount. I think it's like 30 um, nanograms per whatever. It's like, it's not high. Like it's not what functional medicine would consider even a healthy range of vitamin D. And we've shown that up until that level, it's like, you're really increasing your risk or decreasing rather your risk of like dying from almost anything. So it's kind of an easy win thing. This is not an impossible thing to get into your system. Um, even if you're super sick, I know that there's a variety of reasons why some people might actually get plenty of sun or they supplement and they don't actually get higher levels. Um, that might not be the conversation for today. So I I was curious about the vitamin D one homocysteine. I'm sure I have plenty to learn here. So I know that that's a the higher it is, it's quite a big risk factor um, in terms of heart disease. Can we touch more about that marker, um, why it might be elevated in people and and what it has to do with heart health? Yeah, that's another inflammation one. And it directly correlates to the B6, B12 um, biochemical cycle. And for people who have MTHFR gene mutations, They have trouble converting B12 to B6. And what happens when they don't convert is your body builds up in free radicals because that conversion process creates antioxidants every time there's a conversion. And I'm simplifying here, but if it stops, those antioxidants are not created. And so free radicals build up, they damage the blood vessels that creates inflammation and then you get damage to the cardiovascular system. Wow. So is this something, I mean, because I know methylation issues are not always just as simple as going and supplementing with B vitamins. There's more to it than that. Um, But is that typically who's seeing the higher homocysteine levels? Is it people that usually have some type of methylation issue? That's a good question. I don't know if they've, if the research has been done, that's like, oh, every time someone has high homocysteine, they also are MTHFR gene mutations because I know there's other things that are like betaine, which is found in beets, can help lower homocysteine. And it's because it has this phytonutrient that supports that um, B6, B12 biochemical cycle. So yeah, I'm very interested in that because here's the other thing. For people with MTHFR, processed food versions of folate exacerbate the issue well if processed food versions of folate exacerbate that cycle it just creates more symptoms in people with mthfr but it's disrupting that cycle in all people right Right. so it i'm not necessarily sure that homocysteine is only elevated in people with mthfr i think it's it's all yes, a, a APOB is in the panel as well. Um, but yeah, I think it's going to be elevated in people with standard American diets. Yeah, and, and fair enough, right? So it's a risk factor. You might be more likely to have the elevated levels than someone who doesn't. Yes. But um, it was just it, it was humbling in a sense to see like, wow, I'm really doing well in a lot of areas, and I still had this not elevated to an extreme level, but. Um, it's something that made me more conscious. It's something that definitely made me realize this is something I want to check in with um, every now and then. And I'm very fascinated actually to run just the whole heart panel on myself. I'm like, why would I not do that? Like, what would yeah. be 
anything detrimental about doing that. And I get some markers that I want to get anyway. It's always good to check up on my vitamin D, especially, you know, it's this time of year. It's freaking February, man. March is the lowest levels of vitamin D in people right. in the Northern Hemisphere. So it's it's really good to check in then. And you wonder why everyone gets sick um, around yeah, this time and of I, year. Before we move on, I want to touch Please. on that because you mentioned it earlier. And something I want to make really clear is the difference between conventional lab ranges versus optimal lab ranges. And conventional lab ranges are set by the conventional medical field. And they're essentially to be like, okay, you're on the verge of dying. We need to medicate you if you're not at this level. Mm-hmm. But optimal ranges find hidden background stuff that may be preventing you from being as vital as possible. And so you had addressed all sorts of like, oh, disease states, right? You're here with the conventional ranges and you had gotten way better, but there's still background stressors, background things going on that could be preventing you from progressing to your ultimate vitality. And that's really what these optimal ranges are for. Um, finding those hidden things that we may not know are impacting things we may not even think of as symptoms. We may have been living with them all of our lives and think it's just normal when really if we address those even smaller things, we feel even better in those symptoms or those normal things are symptoms that go away. Great point. Um, points. I, I love everyone's engagement. Thanks for tuning in today. I want to. I'm going to go back to some of these comments, but I want to address this first because this is important. Um, someone said, "Oh, you guys are a lab company." I thought this is just an information course. So, functional diagnostic nutrition trains in labs. We also help people get access to labs through our medical director program. We do not sell any labs. Um, we're not like affiliated with any one thing. Like when you go on our medical director program, I mean, there's 60 plus labs on there that we work with and have deals with. Now we're just talking about blood work today as well. And I'm not saying that you don't know this. Hello, M1, M1. Um, (laughs) That's funny to say that as a name, but I'm not saying that you don't know this, but a lot of people don't even realize you don't need FDN or anything like our medical director program to get blood work. I mean, we put these nice panels together. That's fine. Uh, But there's place like altalabtests.com. And um, we, in America, at least, you do have the ability to do direct consumer uh, blood testing in most states. This is not true in all of them. I'll put it this way. If you can't do it in your state, you can't do it through FDN. Now, ironically, we can almost get any other lab, uh, whether it's stool testing, hormonal testing, or whatever. Uh, The blood testing is some of the hardest stuff. If you can't get it in your country direct to consumer, we can't help with that either. You need to do it through uh, your practitioner or doctor. Um, so yeah, no, our courses, you could actually call them information courses. That's correct. But that's we what are, they are. Yeah, yeah. They're courses that train you to balance the organ systems of the body and yeah. also train you to look at labs as clues into what might need balancing in the body. Yeah, very well said. So thank you for that um, comment. That's a good clear up for people. Uh, Someone said it's because of the form, um, folic acid that's added to foods and lower quality of supplements. Absolutely. All right. And then we have this one here. I wanted to go back to this. Can we... um, can we cover this marker? I'm again, I'll always expose my ignorance. I'm not even familiar with this one, Lori. Yeah. Again, this is like a doc, Dr. Gupta thing. He would like spend hours answering <laughs> this, but this is one of those things that's on. We add it to the heart wellness panel, the lipid panel, because it's a specific um, size 
of lipid that gives different clues into the body. So we don't just have like HDL cholesterol and LDL cholesterol. The LDL cholesterol is broken into different sizes of the LDL cholesterol and they all have different impacts. Thank you. And just so, um, how is this pronounced and what is this called for those on audio that aren't listening to the YouTube side? <laughs> this is something I make fun of myself all the time for because I read a lot. And so I pronounce words the way I read them and I haven't heard them. So I call this APOB. <laughs> well, okay. Well, I could have done that. Awesome. <laughs> Thanks. I do the same thing though. It's so funny. You're reading it in a book and then you hear it out loud. You're like, okay, yeah, I'll hear not. a word and be like, Oh, that's how you say that word. I've been pronouncing it wrong the whole time. I've been reading this for a decade. <laughs> yes. uh, next question here is LPA. I'll stall while you're drinking covered as well. Lipoprotein A. Yes, that is also in there. Very cool. Um, One thing I wanted to talk, I know we've been talking about the biomarkers and if you guys have questions about that, please uh, keep bringing them. That's fine. Uh, but one of the uh, parts of the description here for the advanced course is controversies that the topic that you cover controversies around lipid and protein consumption and heart wellness. I'm like, Oh my gosh, my mind goes a thousand different directions. When I hear this, can we cover what that means? Yeah, absolutely. And right before I answer that, I want to say, yeah, we've been talking about labs a lot, but this course has six different components and the labs are just two of the six components. So a third of it is talking about labs, but a third of it is like anatomy and physiology and controversy of the science behind lipids and proteins. And then the other third of it is nutrition ways to address different parts of the heart cardiovascular system, supplements, herbs, et cetera. And so there's there's a lot of um, pieces to this course. But yeah, so the controversies. And this gets into, I think it was the last time we met, we were talking about scientific literacy, the yep. scientific literacy course, and how important it is to know how to skeptically read both scientific claims outside of research papers, but also the claims within research papers and address how the research papers are set up. So right now, the paradigm in conventional medicine is that red meat and animal protein are damaging to the cardiovascular system and you should avoid them if you have cardiovascular issues. Right now, the paradigm in conventional medicine is that saturated fats, which are animal-based fats, right? are damaging to the cardiovascular system, even called the cause of heart disease, and therefore should be avoided if you have cardiovascular system health issues. However, if you dive into the scientific research, and again, if you take the scientific literacy course, it tells you exactly how to go through and like think through these thought processes. But if you look at the experimental setup of literally every study on fats and their impact on the cardiovascular system, you will see that they lump together saturated fats and trans fats hmm. because they're both solid. <laughs> um, well, okay, great. They're both solid, but they're two totally different kinds of fats. Trans fats are processed, damaged, and damaging fats that directly damage myriad parts of the body. And so any group that has trans fats in it is going to have results that show a connection to heart disease. You don't know 
if the saturated fats contributed to that or not, because they lumped them together. Mm-hmm. In order to really know saturated fats impact on the cardiovascular system, you would need a group with just saturated fats, with just trans fats, with just polyunsaturated fats. That data does not exist. So our common paradigm understanding around saturated fats is based off of very poorly conducted research. Mm -hmm. So that's one facet of this. This is compounded by the fact that saturated fats are found in animals and everything we know about animal protein in this country is also sort of tainted. Um, So every study on animal protein in this country is based on animal protein raised the way we raise animal protein in this country, which is with pesticides and herbicides and overcrowded, so they're full of stress hormones, antibiotics, hormones, all sorts of things that we know damage the body on their own, right? And so you have this meat, but you also have all these toxins, and then you do research and it shows, oh, this causes heart disease. Well, you're like, is it the animal protein causing the heart disease or is it all this stuff the animal protein was raised with? And there's no research on pastured, organic, in the wild animal protein and its impact on heart disease. And that's also saturated fats. So even if they separated saturated fats from trans fats, it's still this processed, CAFO, conventionally raised, saturated fat. And so unfortunately, the research doesn't exist to show us saturated fat impact on heart, animal protein impact on heart. When the science doesn't show you what you need to know, you then look at other evidence, Mm. right? Like there's this hierarchy of wonderful science. And if it's there, you should choose it this epitome of scientific research, well, it doesn't exist, right? Our data is flawed. The research is flawed. And so then you have to resort to things that, you know, it's not super great science, but it's still considered evidence. And if you look at millions of years of human history, consuming animal protein and not having all of these diseases, that's really all the evidence that we have left to come to this conclusion. If we're critically thinking like, how do these foods impact the cardiovascular system? Wow. Well, what a fun topic, right? And that's just one bullet point in the advanced heart wellness course. But I, and for those just tuning in for the first time and don't know Dr. Lori, uh, because, you know, if you talk to enough, enough people, unfortunately, you know, we say something like that, you're going to piss someone off. Um, Dr. Lori is probably like the most open person you're ever going to meet. Um, I don't think you really give a crap uh, whether or not animal protein or not was the best thing for human beings. You just want the answer, right? You're just looking for the answer yeah. and the evidence. Um, I got no skin in this game, right? Like, right, right. Yeah. And, and I actually, I took a very similar approach. If anything, this is something many people don't know about me. I'm more biased towards veganism, vegetarianism. It didn't work for me. That was the problem. Um, I that's It's probably the biggest cognitive dissonance that I experience is that I eat meat on a daily basis because I know it makes me feel great and my labs get better when I eat it. I, I can't hunt right now. Like I would need to be in like the end times to be able, I physically could not do that. It would be a very traumatic experience for myself. Like soul wise, you mean? I couldn't do it. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've watched because my dad actually, I'm at their house right now. Um, my dad used to hunt in this backyard. I would see it as a kid and I'd watch the thing. It was awful. 
Like I hated it. And they were, you know, not like, they're not barbaric people. They were hunting, you know, and quick pills and stuff like that. I just, I thought it was insane. Um, so this is someone who doesn't even want this. And I still, um, acknowledge how it makes me feel and stuff. And, and that's the problem. You know, the science might show something else one day and, and who knows, maybe we're wrong. The problem is there's science that isn't good right now. That is highly, um, debatable as to why it's being even interpreted or, or shouted out the way it is. And then you actually break it down because no one takes the time to look at the stuff. And even if you right. do look at it, you might not be good at looking at it. I'm not suggesting that I am right per se. Um, but I at least try compared to the average person. Um, we're not having just the average person on this, is a PhD that's you know, giving us the opinion about this. And there is a lot of BS science that's shouted on both sides. Um, I'll never not reference this. I know it's not the main point of today, but I, I have to say this, given what you just said, one of the craziest things ever to me was the, what the health documentary, which is largely about veganism. It, the owner, so what the health was promoting veganism. The owner of vegan.com, who is a dietitian, came out and said, We do, you can still find this on vegan.com. We do not want to be associated with that documentary because the science in it is so bad. Uh, first of all, even if you disagree with veganism, shout out to them for having that objectivity to say, We're not yes. going to ride the coattails of this because we could. We're going to acknowledge that that's bad and that's not why we're doing this. Um, yeah, that's called but, integrity and that's awesome. Yeah. But at the same time, how many, it's probably millions of people watch this and are like sharing. It and like, oh my God, you need to know this. It's like, this is bunk, guys. Like, this isn't. Yeah. Just the science in that was so bad that I got five minutes into it and I was like, I can't do it. I can't do it. Because I like to watch, I like to read and watch and see opinions and discussions from every single thought and every single field so that I, I can contribute and empathize with everyone's perspective. Right. And so um, I can talk to a vegan all day and I can talk to an omnivore all day and I can talk to a carnivorous person all day. Right. Um, But I and so that was part of my quest, (laughs) just adding to my um, conversation piece um, on the side of veganism. And I was watching that and I just couldn't get past five minutes. The science was so bad. And so I was so relieved when she published that. Because I was like, thank you. Like, if you want to make a documentary supporting veganism, there's all sorts of things you can say. But the science in this movie is all bogus. That's why your mind's great. And that's why we love talking to you. Because you could say, if if there was an argument, you can make it. But that's not it. That, that's just called being a good scientist. Yeah. Right? You're not wrong. We're not saying, well... You might be wrong, <laughs> but we're not saying you're wrong <laughs> There all. is right and wrong, but there's also <laughs> different perspectives on things. <laughs> yeah, but um, yeah, there's, you know, I, if if the opposition can make a better argument than the people that are for it, that that's kind of an issue. Um, So I'll let you take a sip there of some water and what well, I presume to be water and it could be tea. What are we drinking? Could be anything. <laughs> no, it's water. <laughs> <laughs> a few shots of, that's how I deal with you for an hour. Um, All right. So someone said, how do we get someone to research the pasture-raised meat? That info from this kind of research would be very helpful. That'll be the day, Tracy. Um, I'd love to see that one. We got to get someone to fund that first. And to fund it would mean they have a reason. And they have a lot of research takes funding. And so the people with the money fund the research and determine the research that's done. Yep. Um, Cool. Another lab question. I think that's appropriate. Can you tell the difference between Quest's lipoprotein fractionation NMR versus their ion mobility panel. Which one do you usually order, Dr. Lori? When, when you're ordering these on the Anything spot. about this. Do you? <laughs> <laughs> no, that's why I was like, I appreciate the person's question. You're awesome. Hello, M1M1. But I'm like, yes, you know, when it's, um, you know, 
usually on Thursdays is when I order the uh, mobility panel. Um, <laughs> but then on alternative weeks, I, I typically order the lipoprotein fractionation NMR. Yeah, so I, I wish I could answer that. However, Dr. Gupta, I bet, can. Well, hey, we, you know, we're doing round two with him. We've had him on once and people loved him. So I'd love to bring him on live. He's a, a very intelligent guy. You um, know, he did. He did a whole thing with Reed over this course in this panel. And that question may have been asked in that, in that video. So. Okay. Yeah. We could circle back with him. That'd be great. Um, and then BFAB, B-U-L-L-C said, that's why it's blah, blah, blah from studies, crazy stuff and misconceptions. Yeah, that can happen sometimes. Yeah. Um, one more, well, probably two more things. Uh, I'm just going through our course curriculum here. And you know what, guys, I'm actually going to put this in the chat for you here. And then I will share this on the screen. So um, you guys can check out the course and what we're actually looking at here, if you'd like to look at it. Um, otherwise, you can just stick around and keep learning something. But there was another thing that said, uh, you guys cover the common signs and symptoms of cardiovascular dysfunction. Obviously, Obviously, we'll never be able to go over this in depth today, but I'm genuinely curious, like, what are some of those common signs and symptoms? Maybe things, excuse me, that people don't think about. Oh, my gosh. There's just so many. Um, there's, like, a slide in the course that's, like, bullet points, bullet points, bullet points, bullet points, bullet points, bullet points. There's so many. And the reason I say that is because um, just an anecdote about me personally, when I first started to get into holistic practice, I was scared to death to help people with heart issues. Like it was something I was like, nope, I'm not touching it because it was terrifying to me. I was like, oh, something's wrong with your heart. You got to go, right? Like, uh, I'm not touching this. But with more education and training and a full understanding of the symptoms that I needed to immediately refer out for, that's when I started to get confident. And in separating the cardiovascular system into its three parts, the blood itself, the blood vessels, and the heart, and really understanding the symptoms that can show up with each of those differently, um, the more confident I got that I could help people with cardiovascular system issues as long as I kept that red flag bullet point list first and foremost in my head. And so I wanted to make sure that was covered in the course. And so you get taught every red flag to be aware of, but you also get taught lab panel results that you may or may not think, oh, that's a red flag I immediately need to refer out. And so I think there's one that's like the red blood cell count was raised for three tests in a row, immediately refer out. This was low three times in a row. Immediately refer out. Like um, things that are just not as commonly taught are in this course because I wanted you to feel confident, but I also wanted you to be safe. <laughs> um, but symptoms you may not think of as cardiovascular related, like fatigue, a lot of people may immediately jump to mitochondria or they may jump to the adrenals. Mm -hmm. Um, but iron deficiency, B12 deficiency, folate and B6 deficiency, those can cause extreme fatigue. They can cause hair loss, like hair loss. We may think of as thyroid. Mm -hmm. That's usually like, oh, someone's losing their hair, thyroid, run a thyroid panel. It can completely be caused by iron deficiency. And so you do, you never think of labs just on their own. Mm -hmm. You do clinical correlation. Right. So if someone has fatigue and hair loss 
and they have no other thyroid symptoms or no other mitochondria deficiency symptoms, you might be like, hmm, this doesn't scream heart health, but let's run the heart health panel. Something else we talk about that no one talks about is low blood pressure, right? Like everyone talks about high blood pressure and causes and what to do about it. But I've seen more cases of low blood pressure than I have of high blood pressure. And I was so shocked by that. And so I include causes of that, solutions for that. And so it it would take a four-hour course to tell you all of the symptoms of heart wellness. But there, you know, it it's all about being a detective, right? That's what, isn't that what this is called? It's certain the health detective yeah. podcast, baby. Yep. <laughs> yeah, it's not about one symptom here, one symptom there. You do an intake, you put all the puzzle pieces together, and then you think about the most possible common denominator to all of those things. What you had just said to a part of what you just said was like FDN 101, right? Just because it sounds like something doesn't mean we just rely on that cluster of symptoms, even though it might be somewhat reliable to determine what labs we do. We do the labs um, almost regardless of the symptoms in a certain sense. And then we make the clinical correlations from there. I mean, again, it's FDN 101, right? Because the way Reed Davis, the founder, always describes this is almost the worst thing that could happen with the sounds like method is you do validate what you think. So, oh, it sounds like thyroid. You run your little thyroid panel. TSH is elevated. Pat yourself on the back and you're good to go. But it never asked the deeper questions of how did we even get to a place um, where we have elevated TSH? And is that ever going to be the only thing going on? Um, I've been doing this for seven years. I've never seen that as the only thing going on. Ever one time. Mitochondria dysfunction is a symptom. Heart health issues. Those are symptoms, right? Those are symptomologies not the end all. Like you got to figure out what made that happen in the first place. Yeah. yeah. And if you get your answer too soon, you quit digging. Yeah. All right. Well, guys, I'm, I appreciate everyone coming on, especially since we just did something like an hour ago. This is amazing. Um, Dr. Lori, you crushed it as always, especially considering you're coming off some illness. Um, I'm not surprised that you're still doing well with it, but like, seriously, thank you. So we'll wrap this up here. Uh, I hate to ask such a simple question, but you know, one of the things that I don't like uh, when I listen to other podcasts is all this information is shared, which is great. That's the good part, but it's almost hard to say like, what am I really going to walk away with today? Like, what am I actually going to go do? And so my final question for you today, if I may, would be if you could only do one thing to kind of support your heart health, knowing what you know now and creating this course with Dr. Gupta, um, and maybe it's just lowering stress in life. That's fine. I'm just curious if you have one thing that you'd really try to focus on. Oh man. That's such a good question. I can stall for a second if you want. I can only do one thing? No, no, you can do two That's or three. torture. <laughs> two or three is fine. I would eat whole foods, including adequate protein. I would move all throughout the day and try to get less than four hours of sedentary time. And I would work on stress reduction. That's okay. my one thing. No, I love it, but you can get real fancy with the labs and there's a time and place. You can get very fancy with the supplements. There's a time and place, but let's start with all that stuff first. That's the takeaway, right? Run the lab. Sure. Let's do that. I'll run the labs. But if we don't get that stuff down, 
you know, it's almost like, okay, you can only supplement your way out of this stuff so badly or yep. so much. It's, it's not going to work really well. So thank you so much for your time. I saw Wendy already said, thank you. Always awesome. You're always awesome. Wendy. Um, Hi, Wendy. I was just with Wendy earlier. <laughs> right. <laughs> so she must've been referring to you being always awesome. Not Health me, coach but... mastery. Yeah. I'm awesome <laughs> as always. Thank you. Wendy. No, Wendy's <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Thanks Dr. Lori. And thank you everyone for tuning in. We'll see you guys soon. Bye.